Jesus, every knee will bow. Lord, it is with joy that we can enter your presence in this congregation and sing praises to you and hear your word proclaimed. Thank you for the blood that never fails. Jesus, you laid down your life. You took the punishment that we deserve. You rose again on the third day. And you give everlasting life to all who will come to you. Lord, we thank you that you will return. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the Almighty. We don't ever need to be afraid. And we thank you for the courage of those who've gone before, like those in the fiery furnace, those throughout church history who went from being burned at the stake to immediately your presence. You were still there, but you wanted them to be with you. You are faithful, whatever happens. We commit this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. <clears throat> Days of peace and days of rest, in times of loss and loneliness, the winds won't pour. Your word is true. Then all my ways are known to you. trial has come beyond your hand, no step I walk beyond your plan, the path is gone outside my view, still all my ways are known to you, and oh,
There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in When I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free There is a cross that bears the burden Where another died for me There is another in the fire my debt All my debt left for dead beneath the waters I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning Either way I won't bow to the of this world I know and I know I will never be alone there is another in the fire standing next to me there is another in the waters holding back the seas should I ever need reminding the power set me is a grave that holds nobody and the power lives in me there is another in the fire oh there is another in the fire oh i can see i can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between west and I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls gave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands between Standing next to me, there'll be another. 
so faithful. As we look through the story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you deliver those who call upon you in truth. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that this day your presence would not just be with us, but would rule and reign in and through us that we would bring glory to you. We want our lives to be a manifestation of your kingdom on earth, your will being done as we gladly obey you. Thank you, Lord, that whatever the trial, whatever the suffering, it is all light and temporary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for those who love you. And we love you because you first loved us. So help us now as we study your word to understand it and believe it and obey it. Give us ears to hear your voice, eyes to see the truth and hearts of faith to trust you completely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. Daniel, chapter 4. This is God's Word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it to me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, 
Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. and Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals till seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. 
Was Nebuchadnezzar a good man or a bad man? He was a bad man. Was his life devoted <clears throat> to the worship of Almighty God? No, actually, he worshiped other gods that the Bible says are demonic. And the God who is God still gave him success. Enormous success. Fabulous riches. He was enormously successful by world standards, by the standards of history. He was a mighty ruler. And when he wanted to do something, by golly, he got it done. But God in his mercy warned him, you need to give glory to the one who is God. He knew that Daniel had a special relationship with a very special God. But he didn't understand it at all. He was pretty clueless. As far as he was concerned, and he says it right here in this chapter, within Daniel were the spirits of the gods. Nope. You missed that question. That's, that's not what was going on. What was happening was that Daniel was submitted to the spirit of the only God who truly is God. But that was totally foreign to Nebuchadnezzar, as it is to most people on earth today, including, tragically, many people who think that they are Christian. Because in order to avoid having to deal with the God who is God, we have substitutes. And generally speaking, there's not one substitute that will completely fill the bill for us, so we have actually a multitude of idols, a multitude of things that, that take up a place in our life that really only belongs to God. And so, even in recounting this story, even in acknowledging the greatness of the God who is God, you find Nebuchadnezzar explaining um, Daniel's name that he'd been given. He calls him Belshazzar, explaining that he's named for Nebuchadnezzar's God. Because even though Nebuchadnezzar believes there are multiple gods, he's got one he's loyal to. And it's not Daniel's God, but he names Daniel as if he's a servant of the false god that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. Until you see it, you just don't see it. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Not only can you not enter in, you just don't get it. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, the unspiritual mind cannot understand the things of the spirit. Just can't get it. Lost people often will try reading the Bible, perhaps in a comparative religion class, they'll be assigned a little passage. But they don't get it. It's like reading somebody else's mail. Who's Harold? It, it's just, you don't see it. But oh, when you see it, you can't unsee it. You can try and ignore it. You can try and distract yourself with a thousand different things. But down deep, you know. And down deep, ultimately, everybody knows. How will they hear without a preacher, Paul asks in Romans. But he also reminds us there is no place on earth where God isn't sending out a message pointing people to him. You cannot possibly live on this planet as a sentient being and not recognize that there is a God who is behind it all. 
He is the creator. He is the designer. He is the ruler. And he is the judge to whom all of us will give an account. Every one of us is going to have to stand before him. Every one of us is going to have to face him. And the only hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. How many of you dream? Glad you know that. Some people are like, no, I just never dream. No, you're not remembering your dreams is what it is. We all dream. I dreamed last night that I was at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church and somehow walking from point A to point B, I lost this jacket. Okay? I reassured myself this morning by going to the closet and putting it on. <laughs> but I mean, I'm looking all around and it's like, where could I have left that thing? And so a couple of the other nice people at the church are trying to help me look. And it's like, well, we'll, we'll check with lost and found. Let me, let me check with security and see if they have it. Couldn't find my coat. I wasn't in a panic, but I was just like, now that I'm getting to the point where I sometimes am not sure what I did with my car keys or my sunglasses or my Bible or any number of other things. I'm always just glad when I can remember what I'm looking for. <laughs> but, but we all have dreams. But some of our dreams have no great meaning. I mean, it's just basically our brain's way of working through the data of the day, our anxieties, our responsibilities, whatever is going on, and it just tries to turn it into a narrative that hopefully we can move on. But sometimes our dreams are an attack of the enemy, and sometimes our dreams contain messages from God. I've shared with you before about my wife when we were very concerned about finding a place to live because we had already given our landlord notice that we were moving out of the house that we lived in on Cape Cod. We needed a house where the bedrooms were all on one floor because our oldest son was handicapped and now we had two more children, including a little baby that we had named Andrew. We, we just had to, had to find another place. And so I talked with every realtor in the phone book in four towns, every realtor in four towns, and I said, we will pay you to find a place, but we need a place, and here's what we need. And nobody could find anything that fit the bill. They took us to place after place. It was a two-story Cape Cod with bedrooms upstairs and down, and I'm like, no, I told you, one story, and the bedrooms are all on the same first floor. That's what we need. That's what we have to have. And they, well, what about this? You know, there's not a lot like you're describing. I know there's not a lot. That's why we've called you. I mean, it, we're just getting nowhere. And my wife told me one morning, after we'd had a good talk and prayer the night before, she said, I had a dream last night. I need to tell you about it. She said, I dreamed that there was a house it was an older home, and it had kind of a strange floor plan, but it was all on one floor. You had to go down a couple of steps into one of the bedrooms, but it was basically all one floor. And uh, as, as the strangest part was, as you looked out from it, you could see the ocean. Well, that, that would put it, I mean, way out of our price range. On Cape Cod, if you could stand on the roof during winter when all the leaves were off the trees and see a bit of a pond, they would call it a water view and up the price. Okay? If you were in a place where you could see the ocean, it was for the rich. So, you know, she said, I'm not saying that what I, the house I saw in my dream is the place we're going to live. I'm just telling you, as I walked through that place, I was overwhelmed with peace, and I woke up knowing God has a place for us. And I said, well, darling, that's great. And about two hours later, the realtor called. And the realtor said, Reverend Wood, I, I believe I found the right house for you. She said, it's right here in Chatham. And she said, it's, uh, 
It's an older home, and it has kind of a strange floor plan. Uh, but basically, it's all on one floor, though you do have to go down a couple of steps into one of the bedrooms. She described that house using all the same phrases my wife had used, word for word. The one thing she did not mention is a water view. But it had one. You could walk from this end of the house, through this room, from the sun porch, through the kitchen, through the living room, into the next bedroom, down a couple of steps into the master bedroom, through the master and around to the other side where my study was, and out of all those windows, you could see the ocean. The ocean. Ha! No way can we afford that. It was $50 a month less than we were paying for a nice little two-story place where you couldn't see the ocean or even a puddle. Well, that's not true. You could see puddles. Now here, why am I telling you this? What does it have to do with the story? What it has to do with the story is that God rules over all and he can even speak to his people through dreams and he can speak to people who do not know him through dreams. And around the world right now, one of the things that is being reported in country after country where the Muslim population is large is that God is appearing to Muslims in their dreams and pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's the kind of thing that gives some of us old people hope that the coming of Christ is at hand. Because that is historically unprecedented. As if the time is short and God is gathering in the harvest of the Gentiles until the full number of Gentiles has come in. I'll tell you this. There is only one God. But his name is not Allah. There is one God, Yahweh. And that one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And guess what? The Word became flesh and lived among us. God became a man. And he did it not just so that he could teach us beautiful, wonderful truth. He did it so that he could die taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins and then conquer death. He didn't just escape death. He let death do its worst on him and then he conquered it. <laughs> he overcame the last enemy. That's why we're not afraid. So, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And even though he didn't know God, God was speaking to him. And God always tells the truth. God told him that he was going to be cut down low. For seven years. And he would remain in that state of animalistic insanity until he acknowledged that God is God and that the kings of the earth are put in place by God. And God takes even the lowliest of men and makes them kings. If you want evidence of that, look at the history of this country we live in. It's like, well, you know... <laughs> I don't think he's going to be, pre you know, he's president. And it happens over and over. It's like, well, you know, this is crazy that we got this guy as president, but 
Hopefully there'll be another election. We'll last long enough as a country to have another election and then we'll get somebody good in here. Oh no, those are the two candidates? Oh, please. Oh, please. Okay. And we get another one and it's like, how did that guy become president? What is the deal here? This is absolutely nuts. And actually that's not the clinical term for it, but we're talking absolutely nuts. And, and then we have another election. And we get another nut job. And it's like, why is this happening? Why doesn't somebody good run? Well, um, sometimes some good people run and America doesn't choose them. You know why? Because God is giving us the kind of sorry leadership that we well, actually, it's better than we deserve. But what's crazy is that when people get into positions of leadership, power, success, not just the presidency of the United States, look at Vladimir Putin. Look at coaches of athletic teams. Look at quarterbacks and point guards and all kinds of people in all kinds of sports who think, oh, I'm the greatest. <laughs> you know, everybody can see I'm, I'm the best. God grant mercy on LeBron James. Why would I cite him? Because he's a big man with a bigger ego. And what he needs desperately is to know Jesus. But some of the guys in professional sports who claim to know Jesus drip arrogance. They sweat pride. They think they are the greatest of all time. Speaking of greatest of all time, it happens in gymnastics. People who begin to believe their own press. People who begin to think that they really are the greatest ever. There will never be another who can top me. That was part of Muhammad Ali's shtick. Sometimes you had to wonder, is he serious or is he just, is he just playing with us? I don't think he knew. God has a way of humbling people. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. God hates arrogance. He hates it. What was it that got Satan kicked out of heaven? Lucifer, top angel. But that wasn't enough for him. Instead of using his abilities to praise and worship God, he wanted to be God. Why should we all be praising him? What about me? Do you realize how talented I am? I've always been struck by the fact that Herod in the New Testament did a lot of really bad stuff, okay? He was a bad guy. Herod was a bad guy. Ah, he was better than Caligula, the Roman emperor, for part of that time. But here's, here's what happened to him in Romans 12, not Romans 12, Acts 12, sorry. Acts chapter 12, you might want to look at it. I think it's starting in verse 18. No. Herod had already had, it's, it's down in verse 19, um, second part of verse 19. Herod had already had James 
killed. And he saw that that pleased the Jews, so he had Peter arrested and was going to have him killed too, but the Lord rescued him. And so, after Herod had made a thorough search for him, or had a thorough search made for him, and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Why? Because they let Peter get away. And Herod wanted to kill Peter, but since he didn't have the chance to do that, he killed the guards instead. Nice guy or not nice guy? Not nice guy. Okay. Um, then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, now why? They're trying to make nice with Herod, okay? So they appealed to his pride. Here's what they did. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. I have gotten compliments sometimes when I preach, but nobody's ever said that. Okay? This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. You see, God is not threatened by this, but every now and then God decides enough. And somebody who was on top of the world suddenly finds that the world turns. And they're underneath everything. Underneath the earth. Guess what? God could have taken Herod out any time, any way he wanted. You and I can't draw our next breath apart from God. God allows his enemies to rail against him, to blaspheme him, to abuse and hurt others, to do all manner of evil until time is up. And suddenly, suddenly, there is no escape. There is only one God. And you and I can't get a transfer to another universe. We got to come to grips with the God who is God. We got to learn to deal with Him. Well, I'm afraid I've already offended Him. You have. I mean, I've already done bad stuff. Yes, glad you know it. Well, what kind of penalty do I deserve? Hell. Come on, I don't think I did anything that bad. That's why you deserve to be in hell. If you think you don't deserve hell, you deserve hell. Well, why would you say that? Because what you're saying is, God isn't that great that for me to repeatedly over and over and over spit toward him should be such a big deal. Well, then you just don't have a clue who you're talking about. We deserve to be destroyed. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him will not be destroyed, but will have everlasting life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world would be saved. And so God says to a world that hates him, Whosoever will may come. And the universal, innate response of people everywhere is to say, no, thank you. I'm not going to bow to you. I've got my own gods. I'm more comfortable with them. They look more like me, I think. 
And God continues to invite and invite. So some people are just smarter than others. They, you know, kind of, they all of us, you know, they just, it's like, I see. If you see, it's because God has taken the blinders off your eyes. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, God lifts up one and puts down another. And when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I knew you were smarter than the rest. He said, you are blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So you're saying that basically our salvation is entirely dependent on God? Yes. I'm not sure I believe that. Well, I hope you'll get saved. Oh, come on. I'm coming on right now. I'm telling you, People who get saved are the people who realize they need to be saved and they cry out to God for mercy. If you know that you can't save yourself, you're a good candidate for salvation. <clears throat> if you think that you can fix this with just a little help from the big guy upstairs, you're not even close to the kingdom of God. But God even reaches out to people like Nebuchadnezzar, who was a ruthless, demon-worshipping king. And then, after being warned, what did Daniel say to him? He said, you need to repent and show it by changed behavior. And Nebuchadnezzar skated along for a year. And then one day, he walked out onto his balcony and he looked over the city where all these wonderful engineering projects had been managed by the people he put in charge. And he said, I built all that for my glory. And God said, okay, we're done. I warned you. And he spent seven years living like an animal out in the fields eating what animals eat, not trimming his nails, they became like the claws of a bird. His hair got so long living out there that it was matted, it looked like bird feathers. We actually have people who are cultivating that look in our culture. But nevertheless, nevertheless, Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years like that until, as he says, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I glorified the one who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. I remember the first time I flew in a plane. And I looked down and I saw a little everything looks from up there. And then you see the pictures from space. And it's like, oh my word. When I just looked from a plane, I pictured people down there thinking that they were enormously important and walking back and forth and barking orders at others. And I thought, how insane is that? How utterly crazy that this little speck of a person walking around in this little tiny neighborhood is trying to tell everyone else what to do. Bow before God. Worship Him. 
Allow him to take the gifts he's given you and use them for the good of people and the glory of God. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our help. But we were created for good works. There are things God wants us to do because he has chosen to work through us. And we need to do what he has given us to do and give all the glory to him. Realize that apart from him, you can do nothing. I can do nothing. Every time I'm about to get up here and preach, I say, God, I can do nothing without you. I can do all things through you. Please empower me and help me to say what you want me to say. Pastor Wood, you're in your late 60s. You've been doing this a long time. Over 50 years, isn't it? You've been preaching? Yeah. So, I mean, don't you think by now you got it? No. I just pray that God's got me. I want him to use me. And I want folks to understand the reason we keep going back to the scripture over and over and over and over and over is because this is his word. This is his word. And the goal of my teaching is that you would see that he is the one who has the answers and he is the one who can totally transform your life. Look to him. Believe what he says. And don't ever think, yeah, I got this. Just pray that you'll be in the center of his will, held by him. Apart from him, Jesus says we can do nothing. Father, we thank you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to believe your word and obey. Not be afraid, but to trust in you. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.